You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Akome. So let's get started. Hey guys, hey, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here and I am back with another episode of Side Hustle Pro. Today in the guest chair, I have Renee Blewett. Renee is a Los Angeles and New York City-based storyteller who serves as an advocate for Black women's accurate representation in the media. She has over a decade of experience and she has always used her valuable insight into Black women entrepreneurs to share their narratives. It's a passion that she channeled into her first film as creator and executive producer of the documentary, She Did That. You may know her best for that. The film, which streamed on Netflix and is currently available on Amazon Prime Video, offers an up-close and personal look at Black women in business and addresses topics like mental wellness and the funding gap for women of color. The popularity of the documentary inspired Renee's creation of the She Did That podcast in 2021, which is now available in partnership with Dare Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Renee and I have so much in common, and we actually did a podcast swap. So go out and check out my episode on her show, She Did That. And in addition to telling entrepreneurial stories, Renee also produces the She Did That Holiday Bazaar each year, featuring over 50 Black women-owned brands. The event, which brings her annual holiday gift guide to life, is entering its sixth year and has been named the must-attend event of the season. Let's get to know even more about Renee, and let's get right into the episode. So welcome to the guest chair, Renee. Glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Nikayla. So excited to be here. Yes, yeah, so excited for our podcast swap and to finally have this meeting because, I mean, we are just so divinely connected without even having met before. I can't believe we waited so long to do this, but I'm glad we're doing it now. So you have had a long and successful career in public relations. How did you get your start in PR and what attracted you to public relations? So what's funny is my start in PR, really, I got pushed into it by my first boss. I was like working with a nonprofit organization in Chicago and doing all this work as an assistant. You know, when you're right out of college, you want to be all the things to everyone. (laughs) I was writing newsletters. I was helping to produce events. And she pointed out to me like, these skills that you have and the things that you really love doing, like you could do this for a living doing PR. And I'm like, really? So, you know, and when I thought about PR at the time, it just felt like mostly writing. And of course, that's a huge part of the job, but there's also the engagement marketing piece of it, which I absolutely loved. So that's how I got pushed into it. And when I got my first job at a multicultural ad agency doing PR and then working on initiatives that were like targeting our community, I was in love and and never thought I would walk away from it. Wait, so you were at Burrell, right? Burrell Communications. How long were you there before you walked away? Oh my gosh. So that was just one of my agency jobs. I did two stints there because I loved it so much. And then when I decided to relocate to New York City, I went on the corporate side and worked at Lifetime Television and got an opportunity to do programming that was targeting women. So it really wasn't until I started my own consultancy that I got to marry all the things I love, which is Black women, 
PR, producing events. At the time, natural hair was um, a new conversation for us. Of and so course, I was working, yes. yes, I was working with a lot of natural hair care brands and I was just obsessed. I was like, do I really get to do what I love for a living? Target black women, talk about beauty and produce events. It, it really was the best thing that I could have done for my career at that time. And you were at Lifetime Television. So did that kind of plant a seed around doing something with actual on-screen, on-screen talent, on-screen storytelling? Did that even occur to you at that time? Not at the time. Not at the time. It's funny. I never, I've never looked at that part of my career and and thought about how it could possibly have shaped where I am now. So right. I love that you pointed that out. When yeah, I was I, there, I was on the corporate communications and really just writing about ratings, writing about mm-hmm. the shows. I didn't even engage the actual creative team at all. Got so <laughs> not at all. Didn't even think about it. But thanks for pointing that out. I think that, you know, this is a good example of the fact that Every single thing we do in our careers is somehow leading us to that next Absolutely. And we don't often see those dots until we look backwards. Now, at what point did you decide to start doing your own consultancy and why? So that decision came after, so left Lifetime, did some freelance work, and then I ended up at another PR agency, global agency, leading the multicultural team. And a lot of the accounts at that agency at the time were pharmaceutical. And so when you are spending every single day writing about the drugs that we are basically being marketed uh, in our community because we index so high in certain diseases like diabetes and things like that, that work got really depressing, to be Mm -hmm. honest. And it made me feel like there has to be something else. And so that something else came to me through a friend who was leading up marketing for a hair care brand. And she was like, look, I know you have this demanding PR job, but can you moonlight and help me? We really need to relaunch this brand. So had the opportunity to do that. And it really opened my eyes to being, like I said before, just being able to marry all these things I love, was a huge fan of beauty, a huge fan of hair care, Black women, PR. It was like the perfect mix of the things that brought me joy. Was that the first time you started to kind of side hustle that moonlighting experience and got the taste of that? Yeah, (laughs) that was my side hustle. And so I side hustle that until there was no more side hustling to do. (laughs) Why was there no more side hustling to do? How how did you know, okay, I need to do this full time? Yeah. So I knew that I needed to focus on it full time when I really didn't have another choice. Like the, I didn't have the bandwidth because once, you know how it is, once you take on one client, you know, the other clients come in. And what I have found is that like, I feel like money comes to you when you don't need it. I had a full-time job, but I was like getting all these clients organically because of the work I was doing. And um, obviously because of the really positive word of mouth that I was getting. So one day I looked up and I was like, you don't really need this job. So like, why are you doing this to yourself? Like I realized (laughs) that I had enough clients to take that, take that leap. And so I did it, but I will say 
I didn't dive all the way in um, head first. I did it kind of slowly. I stuck my baby foot into the entrepreneurship waters, if you will. So I talked to my manager at my full-time job and I was able to scale back and become a consultant. And so I somehow finagled a three-day-a-week position with them as opposed to five days. And I had a couple things on my side. It was a very lean team, and I knew that they needed me, and I had a great relationship there. So I was able to scale back on my full-time job to spend more time on my side hustle. And I think I did that for about a year. And then that's when I realized, sis, you're good. You could do this full-time. It is time to walk away from the comforts of this nine to five to see what you can really build on your own. That is amazing. I mean, you're the second person that I've talked to recently that has spoken about this idea of before you make that leap, kind of just approaching your boss. I mean, the worst they can do is say, no, you were planning to leave anyway. But if you can finagle keeping the job, but scaling back, I think that is so brilliant. Now, as you were starting up, you talked about how money comes to you when you're not looking for it and we don't need it. I I absolutely agree with you. (laughs) And that's why I love side hustling, because you want to have as much money as possible, because when you go out there and you're desperate for money, you just don't want to be in that situation. So how were you able to get your, your business up and running though? I mean, was it because it was just you? Was it low overhead or did you have to invest some early startup cash into your consultancy? So the thing about having a service-based business, at least a PR service-based business is that the only overhead was really just me, you know, and having Wi-Fi <laughs> and <laughs> right, right. being able to travel when I needed to for my clients, which most of that was covered, if not all of it was covered by my clients because I was traveling on their behalf. So the good thing about that business was that it did not require an investment to get started. You know, yeah. obviously I invested in the tools that I needed to do the job effectively, but it wasn't anything that I couldn't handle on my own. So mm-hmm. with Crush Media, um, at what point did you start doing Crush Media in addition to the In Her Shoes blog? How did that come about? So In Her Shoes really came about inspired by Crush Media clients. I looked up and I found myself representing Black women founders, you know, yeah. and, and women who were really um, building their own brands and legacies. And so through those relationships and hearing their stories and helping them formulate their stories and pitching it to the media. I was just like, more people need to have access to these women's stories beyond, mm-hmm. um, beyond what we were seeing at the time. Like this was, we're talking about like 2009 yep. and the blogosphere at that time was primarily Filled with uh, beauty, you know, beauty bloggers, gossip bloggers, fashion bloggers. At the time, there was no one else focusing on entrepreneurship, particularly from a Black woman's lens. And so when I realized that there was a void in that space that I felt, I was like, there has to be other people like me who want to read about these founders and want to read about everyday women who are launching brands, not just the people who are celebrities or connected to celebrities. I know that 
at that time, because that was around the time a lot of us started blogging, you know, that was like the blogging boom. And it seems looking back like, oh, it's so easy. You started a blog, but I know the work that's required of reaching out to guests and, you know, making sure everything is edited and posted correctly. Now, how did you juggle that with actually being a team of one (laughs) at your agency? You know what? It was one of those things where I just loved it. You know, similar to what you were saying about how you juggled NPR with uh, Side Hustle Pro. I just loved it so much. And it was a lifestyle for me. It wasn't just a job, you know, like in my everyday movements in New York City at the time, I was coming in contact with so many incredible women who were building brands. So it was really easy, quite honestly, to find women to feature on the blog. Like it it didn't require a lot of research. I could just be out minding my business throughout the course of the day and meet someone new and be like, I want to feature you on my blog. And it just came together naturally, you know? Yes. I mean, we're just so inspiring and there's just so much, like you could, it's just endless black women who are doing amazing things. So I, you know, I relate to just that. Until we're like, a hundred years old. Yeah. There, we will never not be inspired by right. black women. Every day I'm coming across a new business. And I I remember reading in her shoes blog too and being inspired. And, you know, that was one of the, the first blogs that I read. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, oh, I want to meet her. Now, um, when did the seeds for She Did That start to form? So the seed for She Did That, you know... As we mentioned before, everything we're doing is leading us to that next place in our lives. So all of the research that I did through the blog on the topic of Black women in in entrepreneurship from 2009, those were seeds that I was planting for being more of an expert in a voice in this space. So after doing, I started to produce live events. That's one thing I didn't mention. So did years of blogging, but then actually was like, I want to bring the blog to life with these events. So I started producing events in New York City. Um, The Fly Female Entrepreneur Profile was like the bread and butter of that podcast, excuse me, of that blog. And I wanted to bring it to life through live events. So I started to produce panel events, have these amazing conversations with women, then that turned into having a, creating a shopping experience. So added that to one of the events. And then eventually that became its own thing with the annual holiday bazaar. Um, and then, of course, the content that I produce every year surrounding the gift guide for 75 Black women-owned brands. But one day when I realized I wanted to do something different, I was like, I want to go around New York City and photograph Black women in the spaces where they create their magic. So went around with a really good friend, Alzo Slade, photographed 25 women in their spaces, in their workplaces, you know, wherever they created what they created. And Mm -hmm. it was a really beautiful experience. The images were just gorgeous. Uh, We did an exhibition in Dumbo in Brooklyn People loved it. It was like this conversation. The room was packed. Of course, this is pre-pandemic. And (laughs) I was just like, oh my gosh, this is everything. How do I top it? And as a Virgo, you know, I am (laughs) constantly... Are you a Virgo too? No, No. I'm not, but you Virgos. (laughs) 
You, you Virgos love to talk about the Virgo life. <laughs> because it is a, it's a lot. Because yeah. we are constantly wanting to do something else, you know, uh-huh. and, and wanting to top the last thing we did. Um, and, you know, you have Virgos like Beyonce out here, you know, Michael Jackson, Nas. Yeah. They, you know, it's so many examples of like the excellence that we, we try to reach for, which is a beautiful thing. Um, but it could also be we can exhaust ourselves. So. I wasn't and also even, overwhelm ourselves. Well, I'm not a Virgo, yes. but overwhelm yourself. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So at that event, I remember it so clearly like it was yesterday. I didn't even have my shoes off. Like I didn't have even switched out into my like flip flops or sneakers to get comfortable. Still had the heels on, chatting with people. And this woman comes up to me and she was like, she very well meaning, did not yeah, mean yeah, yeah. any harm. But she's like, so what's next? And I'm like, <laughs> can I live in this moment? Like, we haven't right. even turned the lights down in right. here. We haven't even taken the photos down. And you're asking me what's next. And so that question, coupled with the self-induced pressure that I create, was, it was interesting. So for the next, like, few weeks, I was like, what will I do next? Like, do I, you don't go from this amazing photography exhibition to going back to having panels because mm-hmm. that would feel like I'm taking steps backwards, not forwards. So it just hit me like, okay, what are the other mediums that I could explore? I've already done blogging. I've already produced panel events. I've already done a photography exhibition. What is missing? And for me, that was film. I had already started doing a really short like video series at the time going into people's businesses and like being, you know, woman on the ground conversations. Um, So in my mind, you know, ignorance is bliss. I had no clue what I was embarking upon. But to me, it was just like, well, if you've already been doing like this short video series, Mm-hmm. Then you just do a few and bring them together. Like, it <laughs> and then boom, you have a film. <laughs> and you have a film. Like, I, I, I was always curious about that as well. Like, how did that process even begin coming from a non filmmaker background? Yes. So, I, you know, being in New York City, the thing that's so awesome about that market is that you are like one degree of separation from like the best to ever do it. So, mm-hmm. I started sharing the idea with a couple of people and they were like, oh, my husband is a director. He's worked on Netflix projects. My cousin is this, you know? And so I just started piecing together the team. And while I was doing that, I also started doing research, like watching more documentaries that were centering um, founders and startups and entrepreneurs. And the thing that I saw consistently is that Black women were not a full part of the conversation. Every film may have like sprinkled in a brown or black woman here or there. But as you know, our journey through entrepreneurship is so unique, so nuanced. I was like, we deserve a whole film dedicated to us and our unique opportunities, our unique struggles, you know, the creativity we have, you know, the, the way that we literally are turning water into wine. And so just knowing that that didn't exist gave me more fuel to keep going, even when this was super challenging. Um, But again, I will say there is a special magic to doing something you've never done before, 
because you don't have the limitations that someone who is seasoned in that space may put on themselves. Like, oh, this is supposed to be this way. You know, like I didn't have those walls. I didn't have those limitations. All that I had was my storytelling experience from PR to the blog and coupled that with, you know, just my genuine passion for Black women entrepreneurs. I love it. I mean, absolutely. I think we everyone listening to this knows that we have that craving to we we crave these stories we want to know how someone who looks like us did it who's someone who faces what we face someone who can't just go out and quit their job and not think about their responsibilities right and you know you are also a living testament of this process it's like you're sharing these stories but you're also living the life of someone who is building something from the ground up. And it might not look like the traditional brick and mortar business, but Mm -hmm. it is. It's this um, side hustle that you have brought to life. And now people see it on Netflix, but I know that that was just a four-year journey of going from Mm -hmm. starting filming to actually going on Netflix and, and, you know, premiering in February, 2020. So can you talk to us a little bit about that journey of, you know, producing the film, releasing it independently to premiering on Netflix? Yes. So I have to always give thanks and praise to my PR background. That foundation is why I was able to push that project forward the way I did. That, of course, with the support of the community. You know, I couldn't do any of that without Black women, like, pushing it forward. One example that I gave before was, like, if she did that was, like, a ball, Black (laughs) women are, like, keeping it up in the air. Like, even to now, like, the film, we premiered it at Essence Festival 2018. We are now in 2022, and this film is still, you know, people are reaching out for virtual screenings. Yeah. Um, it has evolved into a podcast. There are events surrounding She Did That Now. And so it's really just turning into its own movement. But back to your question. Um, so we produced the film, wrapped it up. Um, I was, let me go back. I was able to fund the production through brand partnerships. And that was a gift that I received from that PR experience. I knew how to write a powerful deck, you know, let people know like, what is the offering? What are the benefits of your brand being aligned with this? What would you get in return for this investment? And why this audience is one that your brand needs to reach. Like Mm. that's a gift to be able to put something like that together. When you say brand partnerships, um, so you were asking them to come in at probably like a tier level, right? Like $10,000 gets this, 20 Mm -hmm. gets this. Now, what were some of the, the things that they received in addition to visibility? Because, and I ask this because I know that listeners are trying to get better at this and they're wondering how to approach a brand, what is it that they can possibly offer a brand? Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm curious as well, what what were some of the things that you were including in that brand partnership deck? Yeah, so I'll give the example. Our our fashion partner was a brand, um, Raffaella, and they really did a good job of being a real brand partner because there Mm -hmm. were some, there was one brand, actually our automotive partner, um, General Motors, they, you know, they made the investment, but 
beyond the integration of one of their vehicles in the film, we didn't get to do a lot in terms of like weaving them into the mm. community that was built around She Did That. And, and that was by choice. But for Raffaella, what we did is um, I wore, of course, one of their, couple of their looks in the film. We had one of their um, executives be a voice in the film and she shared her thoughts on Black women entrepreneurs. And then for the screening events, they were the co-hosts of the screening events in several markets. And so we got to do, they had like this new denim line at the time. So we would do denim parties, like trying on denim and each guest that came for the film left with two pairs of jeans. You know, it's like, it was just like a fun activation, yes. especially yes. for women. And so, um, so they really got to go along on the ride with us until, of course, it came to a halt with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But that was, you know, part of the offering, not just having product integration in the film itself, but right. creating ways for them to be a part of the conversation um, at these live events and to really connect with the community that was built through the entire movement. And you also launched a crowdfunding campaign, right? How did you decide to do that and how did that go? <laughs> that crowdfunding campaign. I it's what like was your goal? Things, it's like one of those things like Ooh, we had to do that. So I'll be honest, um, and this is actually something that we talk about in the film, and I'm sure something that you hear repeatedly through the guests on your podcast. A lot of women do not like to ask for help. Black women specifically deal with the superwoman syndrome, which is I can do it all myself. And so we talked about it in the film, but it's funny how, you know, art imitates life because it is Mm -hmm. also a challenge I have. Asking for help is not um, the most comfortable thing for me to do. And so what I found out through production of this film is that the funding that we had was cute, but it wasn't enough to get us to the finish line. Ah. Um, And so through that, I really had to step back and go back to the drawing board in terms of reconnecting with brands that I'd reached out to that, you know, we didn't quite get a deal signed. But then when those things weren't coming to fruition quickly enough, I was like, I have to tap into my community. Like, what's the point of having a community if you aren't able to tap into it when you need it, right? Right. And so the message that I kept getting um, was get out of your own way. I was literally getting in the way of the production of this film by not wanting to do the crowdsourcing campaign. So what's beautiful is I did it, um, didn't do it willfully. Like it was like just a lot of (laughs) screaming along the way. And it was even like, even the time that I posted the very first like post where I felt like I was begging for money. Of course, I'm Mm -hmm. not begging, but that's just what it felt like. (laughs) I think I posted it at some ungodly hour, like 6 a.m. on a Tuesday. (laughs) Like, I'm just going to get it out there and hoping no one sees it um, just so I could say that I did it right. And literally before 7.30, 8 o'clock, I had a text from a woman that I know who has a marketing agency there in New York. She's like, I didn't realize that you were still in production for your film. I have a client that may be perfect for this. Let's talk. 
And so literally through that one post, I was able to secure not only, you know, funding to get us to the finish line, but we were able to exceed the GoFundMe goal through that one brand's partnership. So that GoFundMe, yeah, that GoFundMe for me, because I didn't, and that's a whole different conversation. Like crowdsourcing is a job within itself. Um, I didn't know how intense it was. I didn't know that I needed to be pushing that message out five, six, seven times a day on a hundred different platforms to get like $5, you know, (laughs) keep getting that message out. I think there was a stat back then that like people need to see something that message like seven times before they even decide to act on it. And so for someone like me who wasn't really comfortable asking for help, that felt like a lot. And it reflected in the amount that we got for the GoFundMe. I would say, I don't even think we made $7,000 on that GoFundMe. But what we did do is get a five-figure sponsorship that literally got us to the finish line. And I'm quite certain that- That is amazing. Yeah, that partnership would not have happened if the GoFundMe wasn't out there. So lots of- Lots of Somebody lessons. listening needed to hear that. That that there's so many lessons right there. Somebody listening, I know you needed to hear that because we've talked about crowdfunding on this show before. We had Olivia of I Fund Women of Color on the show, and we talked about that. How for many, you know, people, they there's this misconception that crowdfunding is like begging, <laughs> or it's they're worried that people will think they're, you know, they're not serious and that's why they have to ask for help. But it's actually, it's a family and friends round. Essentially, that's what you tap into for your network. It's raising capital. It's a family and friends round. And, you know, there there are many different things that you can do incentive wise or what have you to do it. And um, I'm so glad that you touched on that because not only did you see that how much you talked about it affected how much you raised, but it also shows that it's more than about money. It's the awareness piece. It's yes. the awareness. People don't know what you're doing unless you tell them unless what you're you doing. Talk about it. So yeah, that go fund yeah. me was like a mini PR campaign for the project. Yes. And it's interesting because I think of you as someone who does such a good job at talking about what she's doing, you know, taking us along the journey and the path of here's what I'm creating. So to hear you say that is actually really surprising. Now, once you had your funding, you know, you were able to complete the project. Uh, what happened next? So next is Sis still had her PR hat on. Yes, so yes. I always. literally looked at that film as like, this is this film she did that is now a Crush Media client. What do we do okay. next? It's like a product launch. So we need to be going to all the major markets and even the secondary and smaller markets around the country Mm -hmm. where black women are, where your audience is. And you need to be doing screening events. You need to be having conversations. You need to be unpacking what it means to be a black woman entrepreneur in these cities because the pain points and the opportunities for a founder in New York versus someone in Charlotte, North Carolina is totally different. And so Let's do screenings all over the country and have these really honest conversations with Black women about what their journey looks like and what it feels like and what's next. So 
did that and we were in um, South Carolina and I remember so clearly we did we did the screening people loved it we're having the the post discussion yeah. and an older sister stood up and it was just I would have never God speaks to you through so many different so many different people and and usually the ones that you would least expect to deliver a particular message so she stands up and she's like, great job, love this film, you know, just praised it, you know, had all these beautiful things to say. And she's like, so are you just going to be traveling like just all over the country and all over the world just doing these screenings? Like, wh- like when can a larger audience see this? Like, I want to share this with my nieces. I want to share this with, you know, my people. Like if they can't make a screening, does that mean they can't see it? Wow. And the she said, <laughs> Put you on the spot. She snatched all my edges. It was, <laughs> it was a bit of judgment in the question, but it was delivered in, in, with love, you know? Okay. But it was like your auntie asking you something. It's like, now you know better. <laughs> she was just like, now you know that this is not sustainable. Are you really just like, so every time somebody needs to see this film, you have to travel and produce an event and be in the room? So when she said that, I was like, you're, you know, good point. Put me on the spot, but I needed it. Um, I think that that message resonated with me immediately, actually to the point where when I was at the airport headed back to New York, there was a layover. And I had started asking people in the industry, like, hey, how did you get your film distributed? And I remember one person giving me some information about a particular distribution agency. So during that layover and with the spirit of this woman, like on my shoulder, I decided to look up that distribution agency, submitted the film and like went on about my business and kept doing all these screenings and really wearing myself out in the process. Those events are beautiful, but it's a lot to go from city to city and have all these um, sometimes emotional conversations because mm. entrepreneurship for us is a, is such a personal journey. Yes. So I look up four months later, I get an email from this distribution agency congratulating me on the film and saying that they would love to partner with me to distribute this film far and wide. And I was like, like I had to do a double take because I almost forgotten that I submitted it because I did it and I just kept doing the work. And I think that that's, you know, something I'd like to point out to your listeners. You can plant seeds for whatever it is that you're creating to grow and blossom, but you plant the seeds. You can't sit there and watch and, and wait for it to happen. You have to still be out there doing the work and planting more seeds And so the beautiful thing was by the time we got distribution for this project, I had already built up like this beautiful community um, all over the country of women who were rallying for this film, who, Mm -hmm. you know, had seen it and, and wanted to see it again and wanted to see it, you know, be shared with the masses. And so when we got our first round of distribution, um, it was through cable network. So you could see it on demand on Comcast spectrum, you know, all these Verizon, all these places. Um, and then the second level was with Netflix and the timing of that partnership was just God engineered because it launched. Did that come through the same distribution agency yes. or at that point? Okay. 
Yes, it came through that relationship and it launched on Netflix February of 2020. You know, we did, you know, I came out here to LA, did this whole hoopla, you know, celebration for the launch. People were excited and then boom, the pandemic hit. And initially, I'll be honest, and I think we all, you know, when we got that news, the first thing we thought of was like, oh my God, what does that mean for my career? I have to stop, you know, moving around in the world safely the way I did. But there really could not have been a better time to have content on the world's largest streaming platform when everyone was at home just watching TV. That is so true. So guys, I know investing and trading can seem really intimidating and complicated, but it doesn't have to be that way. Episode 301 guest Terry Ajoma runs one of the top investing education programs out there. It's called Trade and Travel. It's an on-demand course with really thorough lessons that explain everything. And it also features weekly coaching with Terry herself and a very active private Facebook community. How do I know? Because I'm also a trade and travel student and Trade and Travel is helping me to break through the intimidation that I've always felt around stocks. So Terry teaches you the difference between long versus short selling. She teaches you everything you need to know about getting set up, where to invest, how to invest. Um, she teaches you how to trade stocks as a side hustle to earn extra income and how to set concrete goals, realistic goals, how to pace yourself. Trading is not something you need to do every day. Um, you know, Terry really shows you how to do it in a realistic side hustle way so that you're trading, but you're also, you know, having impact and making wise choices. So go ahead and learn more and sign up for the Trade and Travel program at sidehustlepro.co slash trade and travel. And I'll link to it in the show notes. Through trade and travel, you can learn how to trade as a side hustle and supplement your income with trading. So sign up for trade and travel at sidehustlepro.co slash trade and travel. One more time, that's sidehustlepro.co slash trade and travel. Now, I'm curious... In all of this, as multi-passionate people, sometimes we start working on a passion project. And I actually advise people to start working on a passion project even before you know how it's going to make you money because you're not going to make money for a while. So that shouldn't be your incentive to get started. But this, as you're talking, I'm just thinking like, wow, this takes a lot of time. This has taken, this is a whole college career of your life before it even got to Netflix, right? And so, and your brand partnerships are for the film itself. What is the revenue model when it comes to this film? What what was your goal with it in terms of how would it profit you? So what's interesting is that I didn't go into this because I had my uh, PR career, I didn't create this looking to monetize it. I knew that it would be a, uh, a way to generate supplemental income, but I wasn't calculating what the possibilities could be. Quite honestly, I was most interested in telling our stories because no one had ever created an entire film centering Black women entrepreneurs Um, and I felt like I was the woman to do it simply because I had been blogging about us and just telling our stories for so many years. So to be quite honest, Nikayla, I didn't go into this looking to monetize it. What happened is, um, of course there was, you know, a a deal made with the distribution agency, but then what I found out 
through this journey was the film further positioned me as an expert in the space. So I started getting requests for all these speaking opportunities. And of course the price goes up when you have a film. Yes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so what was happening at that time with the PR career was one, it was too much to juggle. Like mm-hmm. there's no way I could potentially pour all the love and energy that needed to be poured into. She did that while also nurturing my clients' brands. And so because I like to be able to finance my lifestyle, it took a while for me to let go of the PR business. In fact, I didn't let go of it. It's like God pulled it away from me, essentially. How so? Because I was trying to do it all. I was trying to hire help to manage the day-to-day with these PR clients while I was out, you know, working on the film, promoting the film. And one by one, clients were starting to say, you know, we don't have the budget to renew our agreement or your Mm -hmm. retainer for this year. Or I would get new clients and they would be like, you know, for whatever reason, all those clients like were slowly one by one disappearing. And so I think that, you know, when that's happening for me, I was still like, okay, I'm going to find another PR client. And it wasn't hard to do because I had all of this experience, but one day it just hit me like, girl, the message is this chapter of your career is over. It is Mm -hmm. time to focus a hundred percent of your time to she did that. Why yeah. don't you see this? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're trying to hold on to this PR career right. and not saying, no, this is where I want you to focus your attention. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that because as a multi-passionate person, there can sometimes be a shift in mindset that needs to happen where you let go of having a title that you feel is one that brings more acknowledgement, validation, understanding, and allowing yourself the freedom to go into this unconquered territory where it's a little harder to explain, but you trust that it's where you're supposed to be. Was any of that happening for you? It wasn't so much about titles and and what that meant. It was about consistency, familiarity, and comfort. You know, Mm -hmm. like with those PR clients, for example, if I signed a one-year retainer agreement with someone, I knew that in my bank account, I would have (laughs) a certain number of coins at the top of every month, which is important, especially living in an expensive city like New York or anywhere now for that matter. And so that was the part for me that was hardest to let go of. And then, of course, just knowing that this is what I've been doing for so many years. And this is this is the space that I am the expert in. I am no longer the expert in filmmaking, you know, in storytelling and everything that comes with it. I am the visionary, but I'm not the expert. You know, Mm -hmm. I have to rely on my team and the people that I'm hiring and trusting to help to bring the vision to life. So there was a lot that went into it, but I think that when you try not to lead with ego and and try not to make fear-based decisions, that is when you're able to let go of what is familiar and, and do that thing that's calling your spirit. Now 
now you've entered a space where you don't have that guaranteed, you know, um, every first of the month that retainer is dropping. So how have you structured your business such that you can at least anticipate your revenue a bit? (laughs) So it's hard. Like it's, there's still, especially now that we are like, the world is just opening back up, you know, right, and my right. calendar is just starting to fill up more quickly with speaking engagements. And so because those speaking engagements, put it like this, now I am working in a space where it's quality over quantity. Like, yes. I think the pandemic helped me to realize that, you know, as cis in South Carolina pointed out, like some of this is not sustainable. So yeah. me just running around and doing all the things it's, it, feels cute, but you're just busy more than you're productive. And so now the way that I work is, you know, if it's brand partnerships, if it's speaking engagements, I'm just making sure that one, it really ties into my long-term vision for my, my brand, but financially it just makes sense. So the way that I'm working now, um, compared to the PR days, like the checks may be fewer because they're not, you know, the consistent, flow that I had before, but they're bigger. So it allows me to um, just manage my money in a different way, put money aside in a different way and, and still feel safe, you know? That I'm very relatable. (laughs) And I, yeah, I completely understand. I completely understand. So you mentioned your long-term vision for your brand. And a part of that long-term vision includes expanding what you've been doing. You've now launched a She Did That podcast. How did that come about? You know, when did you decide to create the audio arm of the She Did That brand? So the podcast was truly a gift from the pandemic. You know, I wasn't able to get out and do the screening events the same way uh, we were doing some more filming for she did that, but obviously couldn't do it as consistently. And I just knew that I had to keep these conversations going, particularly during the pandemic, because this was a transformative time for us as individuals and as business owners. And I felt like I there's no way that I could be this woman that's, you know, whose work is centering black women entrepreneurs and not be talking to us through one of the craziest experiences hopefully we'll ever have in our lifetimes. So that is where the podcast was born. I remember really clearly doing a one year anniversary celebration of the film on Netflix on Clubhouse. And so I brought back Lovey, uh, Lisa Price, Melissa Butler, Tanya Rapley, and we were all, you know, having this beautiful conversation in Clubhouse. And through that, I shared out loud that like, I miss this energy, you know, I miss Mm -hmm. coming together and being in conversation with everyone. And I mentioned the podcast. And when I mentioned it, I mentioned the idea of it, Everyone was so supportive. Everyone was like, it's about time. You know, <laughs> right. like rooting me on. And so I would say that from that conversation, I would say like I started recording the podcast conversations like within a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And so that is how the podcast was born. I produced the very first season independently, which as you know, is no small feet. Um, (laughs) And and so that was it. Like that was the beginning of the podcast. It it really gives me a beautiful opportunity to keep these conversations going in the audio space. And 
connect with women that I may not be able to connect with in person because now I'm just talking to women all over the country and even all over the world. Yes. And it's just, I just love podcasting just because of this intimate nature of literally being in someone's home with them, having a conversation, people getting to know your voice. How many people know your voice who are not your family and friends? You know, that is just such a powerful tool. And one of my favorite episodes, you guys should definitely check out. She did that podcast, but your episode with Tia Williams, I just love her. (laughs) And I, you know, was searching (laughs) for conversations with her and yours was the first to pop up. So just love the network you have and the conversations, the unique conversations that you're able to bring on your podcast. So I'm curious to know, before we jump into the lightning round, what are you working on focusing on bringing to the world next? So right now I am in the thick of preparing for my very first LA She Did That Shopping Experience. I have partnered with a couple of incredible women Tori of Maison Black and Frenchie of the Black Fashion Network, they are a part of an initiative called Emerging Color. And so we are taking over this beautiful retail space here in LA at the Beverly Center. Um, I will be doing my She Did That um, experience June 22nd and 23rd from 8 p.m. And it will be kind of like 10 of Renee's favorite things. I've handpicked 10 Black women-owned brands, and we're going to be popping up at the Beverly Center. And then also on the 23rd at 11 a.m., we'll be doing a special screening of She Did That Short Stories, which is the new film project that I just produced in partnership with J.P. Morgan Chase, Advancing Black Pathways. So just really excited to be back in community with, with these women, you know, like, Podcasting is beautiful, you know, filmmaking is beautiful, but there is nothing like being able to touch and feel people and to experience their energy in person and have these like just really authentic and and honest conversations. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. This is so exciting. You guys, if you go, make sure to tell Renee that you heard about it through Sados Pro. Say, say hi for me because, you know, I, I wish I could go. And I am just, I, I love that you do events like it's nothing. <laughs> you just, <laughs> you will throw an event. You will just pop it up. I'm like, how is she doing this? Events are so like overwhelming to me. So I admire oh, yes. you for that. Um, so now PR we're going to background. It's the, it's PR, the PR background. All right. Well, we have to talk before my next event. Yes. Let's do a quick lightning round. You know the deal. You just answer the very first thing that comes to mind. All right. So number one, what is a resource that has really helped you in building the She Did That Empire that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Oh my gosh, there's so many resources. One that comes to mind because I literally was just in it this morning is Canva. (laughs) Like I am always pitching something, you know, like whether it's pitching the podcast to a brand partner or pitching the film project or pitching an event. Canva, like I don't have time to be trying to figure out the design. (laughs) Canva gives you all these like really dope options and just takes that, designer piece out and let you focus on the content. Love it. Um, Number two. So you have interviewed so many Black women entrepreneurs. I'm curious who you would switch places with for a day and why. 
Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that question is, woo. I'll be honest. This is someone that I haven't interviewed, but if I could switch places, I'm kind of cheating on this, but if I could switch places with Oprah for a day, she is one of my, like, she's on my wish list for women mm-hmm. to speak to. But if I could switch places with her and just feel, she has to feel so amazing every day when she wakes up and when she yeah. lays her head on her pillow at night, knowing mm-hmm. that her work is literally changing lives. Like if she, cause I've had plenty of women on the show who've talked about like my product got on, you know, Oprah's favorite things list and how that one plug literally changed the trajectory of, of their careers and in their businesses. So I want to be in Oprah's shoes for a minute and see like what it feels like to have that type of impact on, on the world. Number three, what's a non-negotiable part of your day? Food. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep it like if I a call and I have not had food, I feel like it is like downhill from there. There are yep, some yep. people who are able to like look up at two o'clock and they're like casually like, I haven't had lunch yet. <laughs> or I haven't had a morsel. And I'm like, girl, I'm on meal number two. Like I, I have to eat. It is, that is my non-negotiable. Number four, what is a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? The one we just talked about, just wanting (laughs) to do all the things, like being a busybody. Yeah. It has been a blessing. And I don't want to say curse because that's such a strong word. It has been a blessing, but it is also one of those blessings that I have to manage because you can't always be on, you know, like you, you do have to recharge your battery. And then finally, number five, what's your parting advice for our listeners today who want to be their own boss one day or want to just grow their side hustle more, invest in themselves and, you know, really build it out. But they're they're worried about losing that steady paycheck. I've been there. I would say this. Whatever you are doing now that is generating this steady paycheck. And I think we talked about this briefly in the conversation for my podcast, that skill, that background that you've built over the years, that experience you have does not go away <laughs> when you decide to take a leap into something else. It will always be there for you to go back and revisit and tap into if you have to. My thing is you don't want to ever have this what if. And you also don't want to look up and you see someone executing the idea that you had and sat on for so many years. So I would say, you know, I'm definitely not telling like, just do it. Just, you know, just leave your job. But know that like your gift that has gotten you to this place in life is your gift. No one else's. And so you can tap into Mm -hmm. it and and leverage it whenever you want to, you know? Amen. I think that's just the perfect note to end today's episode on. So where can people connect with you? And she did that film after this episode. Yeah. So you can find me on social. I am Renee Blewett. And that is I am R-E-N-A-E-B-L-U-I-T-T. The podcast can be found at She Did That Podcast. The film is at She Did That Film. And for all things She Did That, you can visit shedidthat.co. All right, guys. And there you have it. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustleproco newsletter. When you sign up, you will receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon. Thank you.